Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Tim, I know you have a lot to share. Why don't you come on up? Let's give Tim a Rosedale welcome. Tim comes to us from uh, Seaford, Delaware, where he pastors Gateway Fellowship Church. Tim and I go back a ways. Um, and Tim, how long have you been pastoring? Oh, man. At Gateway. Since 2008. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, Don't we thank you. keep this going. I like the awkward. The awkward is, it's good mojo. I'm enjoying it. Because okay. I'll just keep pretending that I'm not listening and then occasionally answer. It'll just be great. This is how our phone conversations go. No, it's so. The phone conversations go with me getting the best sermons you've ever heard. And then he preaches like a slightly more chill version in public. And everyone's like, oh, that was Rip Five on Fire. And I'm like, no, you should have heard him on the phone. <laughs> that's how, that's what you, you should have heard him on the phone. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that Tim can be here with us. We're more grateful that we know your spirit is at work among us. Would you do your work? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I brought my buddy Stan. Stan, you want to raise your hand or something? Or You'll notice that he has this Dallas Cowboys hat on. The day I took him to the beach, Stan's visually impaired, so when we were in the waves, I was trying to warn him there's a big wave coming, buddy. You got to get under it or get over it, but you can't just stand there and let it plow you over. And he goes, man, I'm, you know, he's like, I'm not a kid. I'm not a kid. Then he got plowed over and is like completely his legs are in the air. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a problem. You know what I mean? And a while later, and, and a while later I was like, you want to give me that, your hat and your glasses so they don't like get lost? And he goes, nah, I'm good. I got this. Then he get plowed again. And then a while later, he's like, you better take my hat and my glasses. What hat did you wear that day? You had the Eagles hat on because you don't care about the Eagles. The Eagles are stupid, you know? Yeah, I don't know. What's the teams around here? Do you guys even care? The Browns? It's like a unique form of self-flagellation. It's like purgatory. Every season, it's like a weird form of, you know, ascetic monasticism where you just walk around smacking yourself till you're bloody. Oh, they're going to have the Browns again. I mean, but not that there's anything wrong with that. Okay. Hi, Tim. I'm glad to be here. I'm really, I'm really, I have a sense of expectancy for God to encounter us this week, not because I think that I'm going to say the most brilliant things ever, but rather because you guys are here for Jesus, and we're here for Jesus, and we've been praying together. And Jesus, how many have you noticed, how many of you have noticed that if you draw near to God, he draws near to you? So the expectation that I have is, the level of our hunger for God will always be met with a new level of God revealing himself to us. Okay. One time I saw this guy on a bridge and he was about to jump and I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, I do actually believe in God. And I said, awesome. Are you a Christian? Are you a Jew? What are you? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? And he says, I'm a Protestant. I said, oh, me too. What franchise? And he said, Baptist. And I said, oh, get out of here. I'm a Baptist. What kind? Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist? He goes, Northern Baptist. I said, stop it. I'm a Northern Baptist. Northern Baptist conservative or Northern liberal Baptist? He goes, Northern conservative Baptist. Are you crazy? I said, me too. Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes 
region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? And he said, Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes region. And I said, get out. This is getting crazy. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and I shoved him off. (laughs) If you didn't know, that's a joke. I didn't commit murder. The other night we were making soup, and I said, no cows were harmed in the making of this soup. And my son says, they were harmed way before. (laughs) Okay, let's get to the sermon. Many of us are much better at answering with the right answer than we are at living with the right question. A rabbi asked his class to read Genesis 22, the story where Abraham offers his son. He said, go read Genesis 22, and tomorrow I want you to come back with your questions. That's fantastic, by the way. She's knitting. Okay, sorry, distracting. I am ADD, so there you go. If I get distracted, could you tell me what I was talking about? Like dead serious, like that happens, okay. A rabbi asked his class to read Genesis 22 and then come back the next day with, his, with their questions and then they did and after they were done telling him what they thought and saw, he said, that's it? God asks for a child sacrifice and these are your only questions? Oh, I envy you. Matthew 28, 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jude 1, be merciful to those who doubt. This talk is about doubt. Agreeing is socially rewarded. Amen? Oh, wait, do we do that here? Do we say, are we we interactive? I don't know. If I say amen, does that get an amen? I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I literally don't know what the rules are. If I say something really good at home, there's one lady who I actually have to start whispering, calm down, because she's freaking me out. She's too noisy. You know who I'm talking about. Stan knows who I'm talking about. Agreeing is socially rewarded. We tend to hide those opinions that we fear others will not approve of. Which leads me to the question, if that's the case, if we have been trained for what we are allowed to say and what we are not allowed to say if we wish to be approved by the group, what then are we to do with our doubts, our uncertainty, our questions, What do we do with them then? Because reality is complicated, right? Reality is complex. Have you noticed this? Life doesn't go the way you wanted, but also just existence isn't what you would have expected if you made it up. Our bodies get hungry. I'm skipping ahead. Go back to the other point. Reality is complicated. 
And when complicated realities encounter an oversimplified faith that no longer helps make sense of the data, doubt occurs. And I view doubts as a kind of hunger. Your body gets hungry when it's telling you, I need food. Your soul experiences doubt when it's trying to say to you, I need understanding, help. Ideas then, this is a Tim theory, ideas form interconnected constellations. They don't independently exist. Their gravitational pull impacts each other. So you change one small thing over here and it pulls the shape of the other constellations. You hear what I'm saying? A belief changes over here and it changes a belief over here. So what happens when you experience doubt? Do you also then experience fear that if this changes, will all of my beliefs change? What else will change? Because reality is complex and you don't always know what will change. I don't believe I did that. And I call the fear, this fear that if we experience doubt in this area or if we change what we believe in this area, that maybe the whole thing will be pulled into a new shape that's unrecognizable. And I don't know what it will be yet. And that's, of course, scary. I call the fear that if one of my beliefs topples, the whole thing might topple. My whole faith might topple. My whole Christianity might topple. The whole relationship with Jesus might topple. I call that Jenga faith. You guys know Jenga, right? It do be like that, am I right? Here comes somebody on a YouTube channel, and they're like, Jesus was never raised from the dead, and here's 90 reasons from people smarter than you why you're stupid forever praying. And you're like, I should watch that. I'm so terrified right now. And then you, help me, you know? In the game of Jenga, you build a tower with blocks and then you take turns removing each one block at a time. Each person takes a turn and the person who pulls the block out and makes the whole thing fall is the... Lou Hooser. So you have to be so careful. And I think a lot of us feel that way about our Christian faith. So defensive, so anxious, so nervous. I'm not going to watch that YouTube channel. I'm not going to have that conversation with that friend who keeps saying that thing. I'm not going to watch that TikTok you forwarded to me. Because it's making claims that I don't have the expertise to answer. It's asking questions I don't have the understanding to respond to. I'm scared. And that's just somebody else's issues scaring me. What about my own doubts? What about my own questions? I think sometimes we get really protective of our beliefs because it feels like if you're me, I've staked my life on Jesus. My life. So it kind of feels like everything's at stake. And all it would take for the whole thing to fall is just one wrong move. So here's seven areas where I've experienced doubts and gone on a journey of discovery over the past How old am I getting? That's kind of fun. How old you is? Yes, Jeremy. So old. No, he's not. That's not even old. 91's old. 41's not old. 
71 isn't even old anymore. It's funny how that perspective on me changes. Let's get back to the sermon. Here's seven areas where I've experienced doubts, and the doubts have pushed me onto a journey that I didn't necessarily want to go on, but there we are, going on a journey. Scripture. Scripture is far more complex than I understood when I first came to faith in Jesus, and I was told, this is the Word of God. That's one word, by the way. That's all one word. Word of God. God just was like, and then there it is. Is that true? Is that how the Bible came to us? Is that what the Bible is? Just bleh, there it is, boy, right there. In college, there was a, a, a dude in my class who said, if you can't believe even one verse, if there's one verse in this Bible that isn't true, then you should take the whole Bible and you should toss it in the trash. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, bruh, we don't even have any originals. All we have is copies of copies of copies of copies, and we're doing the best we can with textual criticism to arrive at what we think might be the closest uh, original writing. You know, this is just Bible 101. We don't have the originals. Nobody claims the Bible in your hands is, 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 is without error. They, all the denominations claim that the original we don't have is without error, which by definition means every denomination is acknowledging we have an error-ridden Bible, and yet we continue to read it faithfully and believe it. What I said out of my mouth was, well, then throw it away. Probably shouldn't have said it. But scripture is more complex than I first understood. That's an area where I had to completely revise my Sunday school version of the Christian faith to come to an adult understanding of the faith. Science, number two, second area, science. I was told by young earth creationists as a youngster that I'm not allowed to keep loving Jesus and believing in the Bible if I end up disagreeing with them about how long God took to make everything. I was told, Tim, if you don't believe that these 24 hours are literal and that Genesis 1 is not a poem but a historical, accurate, literal reporting of exactly what happened, how it happened, in the order that it happened, then you, my friend, are not allowed. You are not allowed to continue to worship Jesus, serve Jesus, believe that he's the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh. You know? You're not allowed to believe he died for your sins, rose to life, is uh, you know, ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and will soon return from there to bring his kingdom to earth and take death and cancer and hell and Satan and sin and throw them out and make everything good again and make everything... You can't believe that. You're not allowed to believe that because you think he took a little longer to make it. So I said to my wife, we were in the kitchen, yes, I'm married to someone who disagrees with me on that and that's okay. It's fine. She, I said... You're making your interpretation of the Bible. You're putting that in the category of Bible. And she said, maybe I am. But you are condescending and smug, and you think you're smarter than us creationists. And I was like, that's valid, and I'm sorry. So, but my point is, science. Science. That's an area where many of us, we begin to study like, Geology, biology, astronomy. We go, um, maybe what I was taught, I still love Jesus, but maybe what I was taught isn't entirely how it is. Are we doing okay? If I just triggered somebody, can you just, 
do me a favor and bask in the glory that I'm wrong. Are you going to be okay? Bro, consider me more of a comedian than a preacher. Would you do that for me? That would help. Okay? Eschatology. Christians love to get all stirred up about eschatology, end time predictions, how it's going to be, how it's not going to be, especially this generation and the previous ones seem obsessed with, this is not helpful, seem obsessed with, well, I'm not even going to go there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zip my lip. I'm just going to say I'm not a dispensationalist and leave that alone for a minute. Hi. But Christians seem to get all stirred up about the Antichrist and wide-eyed predictions about the end and Jesus' return in a one-world government. And now lately it's like, oh, the vaccines. And it's like, oh, look, I don't even believe in the rapture, but take me away, please. I believe in the second coming, okay, just to be clear. Like all the church did until 1830. Throwing that out there. Don't do it, Tim. Get back on. Help me. Christians love to get all stirred up. So here's what I've seen in my life so far as I watch us. There they are, this group of believers. They have predicted it down to the moment, and they're standing on that glorious hilltop awaiting the return of the Lord. And as the seconds count down, 10, 9, 8, they get down to 3, and they're all on their tippy toes, and we reach 0, and they almost all fall down. Nothing happens. And then some moron in the back lifts up both hands and with a good old-fashioned Pentecostal tone says, Thus says the Lord. That prophecy wasn't for me. And everyone is like, you think, dummy? And then I say, maybe this time they'll stop it. But no. Two or three more news cycles go by. Five years go by and they just revise the date and they do it all over again. Am I taking crazy pills? That's the third one, eschatology. Politics. Let's talk about politics, you guys. Don't you just love how churches and Christians get all stirred up about politics? That's my favorite. Let's not even talk about Jesus anymore. Let's just talk about that. Following Jesus? Not relevant. All that matters is voting. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> One year, I literally told the Lord, I'm done. Okay, I'm done. Finished. Not doing it anymore. If this is Christianity, I'm out. And he said, because he doesn't believe me, you know what I mean? He doesn't believe me when I say stuff like that. You're not out. He says, uh, Tim, who am I? And I'm like, you know, your perfect love. Who have, what have I called you to be in the world? Love. And can you get on board with that agenda, Tim? Yes, sir. Good. I'll get on with it. So um, sidebar, sidebar. In my mind, Oh, this is being live. Is this, is this being live casted anywhere? Please say no. Just, just, it's like my YouTube channel. No one watches. Okay. They watch me on Facebook. I don't know why. Nobody watches you. Two, two views on YouTube is like 400 views on Facebook. I don't get it. Okay. Um, sidebar. <clears throat> to me, mixing faith and politics, where shall I hide while I say this? Hide behind the keyboard. To me, mixing faith and politics is a little bit like mixing poop and ice cream. Okay, 
the, uh, the poop's not that damaged in the exchange, but the ice cream's not the same. You guys back by the fire, you're like, um, discussing, hey, Lynette, you guys are discussing, like, you know, which one does he think is the poop and which one does he think is the ice cream? Because politics actually seemed better before Christians got involved. Anyway. Fifth, moral failure of leaders. If you loved and trusted your pastor or your youth pastor, and, then, and you grew through their teaching, you fell more in love with God, you found out who you are in Christ, you, had a, you found a purpose for your life, and your, your heart was encouraged, and then later you discovered that they were, this whole time that you were benefiting from them, that they were living a secret life of heinous sin. I'm not talking about like sin, normal like sin. I'm talking about the kind of sin that's life-shattering. That's, that's extracting a lot of bricks from your Jenga tower. When Ravi Zacharias' sexual sin and abuse came out, like, that was some intense family conversations around like, the Christmas table for us. And um, man, because he had a positive impact on my, his ministry, had a positive impact on my faith, on a lot of people's faith. And so the first reaction, the first reaction was, it can't be, right? It, I, there's no way that's true. It, it, no way. It can't be, but it was true. Now, and then what do you do with that? And it's interesting to see what people do with that. But one thing it clarified for me was how much our integrity and our secret life of obedience to Jesus where no one's watching, which, I mean, that sounds like exactly what Jesus is talking about, right? When you pray, go in secret where your father sees in secret, and he will reward you. When you fast, fast in secret. Your father who sees will reward you. When you give, don't give to get it, like, public. Uh, give. Keep, keep a certain percentage of your faith secret because if your whole faith is public, if your whole faith is secret, that's a problem, right? That's stupid. That's hiding your, your light under a bushel basket, right? But if your whole faith is public, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. It's probably not real. It's just you want people to think of you as a certain kind of thing, right? So do some stuff. What you do in secret is the real you, right? So Jesus pushes this so... Your, God will put power on you in public if you'll just steward your integrity in private. Your reputation is God's business. Your integrity is yours. And when we flip it, oh, talking too long. Let's move on. Six, theology basics. Let me just go back and recap. Seven areas where I've, I've changed my view. Scripture, science, eschatology, politics. Moral failures of leaders have messed me up and, and sh- sent me on a journey. Shifted my thinking. Theology basics. Man, Sometimes you're going along in your faith and, and suddenly the central message of the, of, of the, of the Christian truth, it's like something really basic and central, you start to experience profound doubt about it. Like for me, it was the cross. The cross. I was at this place and this, this uh, Eastern Kentucky boy said, God's going to take you back to the old, old story. He's going to take you back to the old rugged cross and he's going to make it brand new. And I said, ooh, that's my jam right there. That's my jam. I, uh, Oh, I don't want new truth. I want old truth. The gospel's ancient faith. It's like we went back and we found in the Pharaoh's, 
you know, sarcophagus and iPhone 42. And that's what the gospel is. It's ancient future technology. It's so advanced that even though it's old, it's so far beyond where we, like, come on, man. He's talking my love language, you know? I'd rather read Greek Orthodox stuff than modern. Okay, stop talking. It's like being dead makes you smarter or something. Okay. So he prayed that, and, then, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, I became obsessively, like, freaking out about the cross. Like, why would, why would, why would Jesus, being murdered by an extremely angry God, suddenly make me trust that God? And, and I, just was, I just suddenly started to question the story I was taught about how the cross of Christ saves me. And I went on a journey, and I now believe things that in 2008, I literally said were heresy. Oops. Number seven, biblical ethics. So I've gone on a journey here. Is the Bible morally and socially regressive? Are women really weaker and more sinful than men? Should they be silent in the church and submissive in the home? Or how about this one? I just finished preaching through Colossians, and in Colossians 3, it says that slaves are supposed to honor and obey their masters in everything out of devotion to Christ. Does the New Testament condone and promote slavery? Is the Bible morally and socially regressive? Okay. Pastors often hold our cards really close to our chest like poker players, perhaps because we fear being fired or even worse, <gasps> rejected, right? They might kill me or worse, not like me, you know? It's like, I'm okay if you kill me as long as you really wish you didn't have to and you, you wink at me while you're lighting the fire. No, I'm just kidding. Please don't kill me. But pastors fear being fired or rejected if our understanding shifts and grows or goes maybe, maybe grows is too, too you know, bold, moves beyond the bounds of our accepted norms within the group, right? Luther was right, I think, when he said that the church has often been quick to execute its heretics, but then a few hundred, laters, few hundred years later, let's use all the words, After we murdered what we thought were heretics, we go, oh, my bad, dog. You was actually the best Christians. Oh, oh, better safe than sorry, though. Am I right? High five. In uh, seminary, they helped us wrestle with extremely important questions. You know what I'm talking about? Like really important questions like, like I've been processing this one for a lot of years. Can God microwave a burrito so hot that even he can't eat it? Man, that's important. We better figure that out. You'll be thinking about it later going, yes, no, wait, what? I had a professor assign me an article I was supposed to read by Julius Wellhausen, and Julius Wellhausen so thoroughly undermined my ability to trust that the Old Testament was reliable. And I remember reading the article to Carrie as we were driving in the van, and she just said, what is our response to that? And I said, I don't know. It's horrible being in seminary. It's like they want to kill me. So I went back to that teacher and I said, what, how, how, do, how, do we, how do we respond to Julius Wellhausen? And he said, 
you don't have a right to doubt the grace of God in your life. And I thought, well, that's probably exactly what Jude meant when he said, be merciful to those who doubt. That's not what you do, by the way, with people doubting. Just tell them, you don't have a right to doubt the grace of God in your life. You made me read the article. Help, you tore me apart. Could you help put me back together? You know how courage is, is, is not possible unless there's some fear present? I don't think faith is possible without some doubt present. In a, in a marriage, you go through doubts and fears. But you don't divorce over it. You press on. And then often what you find as you press on is that the doubts you were experiencing were based on a misunderstanding of each other. And then the conflict or the crisis of doubt and fear actually builds then a deep history of shared experience that builds trust. And then the next time the doubt comes up or the fear comes up, you can learn then to give your spouse, what, what would we call it? The benefit. In other words, you learn to doubt your doubts in the face of all your shared experience. It's trust. God is not your beliefs about God. If you can think it, it ain't God, right? God's infinite. Your thoughts about him are finite. So in your imagination, if you just go out as far as you can imagine, and then when you get there, throw a stone as far as you can throw it, and then leap off the cliff after it and chase it down, you're still nowhere close. He's bigger, he's older, he's sweeter, he's smarter, he's stronger. His power is just so far beyond what we can even... The size of our universe, just take that as a metaphor for what I'm saying. The size and scope of our universe is so incomprehensible that I have a hard time thinking about the fact that the sunlight takes seven seconds to get from the sun to my window and into my room where it then lights up each little speck of floating dust like it's a little galaxy in miniature. Much, much, much less than I grasp the size of the universe. Much, much, much less can I grasp God. 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 Word we use so often, throw around so glibly. God as a symbol, a placeholder for a being inconceivable. So your beliefs, my friends, are not your faith. Your beliefs are not your faith. Faith is trust in a person. Beliefs about God, those are your constructed ideas. They are subject to change without notice. I read a president of a seminary who said, I'm pleased to announce that in my 40-year tenure at this school, nothing new has been taught. Well, I definitely believe you've been walking in a 40-year relationship with a document. Not sure you've been walking with my Jesus, who is consistently messing with my beliefs. Once we say the big yes to Jesus, which issue is in conversion, then that is followed by a thousand little yeses 
that lead to a thousand little conversions, not to Jesus, that's already been solved, but to Jesus' way of thinking. So to keep the faith means to change your mind. If you still have the same childlike trust in God's love that you had at age three when you reach age 80, do I need to say it slower? If you still have the same childlike trust that you had at three when you're 80, that's winning. But if you still have the same childish ideas about God that you had at age three, that's not winning. In college, I'm almost done. In college, I read The Garden of Eden and the Hope of Immortality by James Barr, and he reinterprets uh, Genesis 3 and shows how Paul's wrong about it, shows how the New Testament's wrong about it, and uses intertestamental literature to show that non-Jewish sources have influenced Paul askew and astray, and he's been Hellenized. And then he reads in context and goes into all the Hebrew words and their meanings and paints a very different picture of the meaning of the fall narrative in Genesis 3. And then at the end, I said, I agree with you. And apparently, I no longer believe the New Testament. And then I fell on the ground and thought I was falling into darkness physically. I felt this, like I was on my knees, facing forward, crying, but I felt like I was falling backwards down a black pit into nothingness And I remember feeling completely destroyed and saying, don't laugh at me. Jesus, help me. I don't want to be a liberal. I said, don't laugh at me. No, you can laugh at my pain. It's nice. College and seminary were like living in a house while it's under construction in which like (laughs) things that are expensive and I worked hard to get and I like are also being... uh, (laughs) actively destroyed by cheerful professors who smile at me while they apply a jackhammer to what I think is literally the foundations of the faith. (laughs) Fun times. Also not cheap. Not cheap. So anyway, I was falling backwards into darkness with nothing underneath me except for the loss of all that I had built my life on. So as you know, a typical Thursday, except it never materialized. It just didn't happen, like the monsters under the basement stairs. You know what I'm talking about, coming up the basement stairs. You turn off the light, and then you make a dash for it, and you can see their hands coming through to grab you through the slats. Oh, my goodness. But it never happens. And it never, I never, like, I thought I was done with Christianity, but it just didn't happen. I just kept talking to God. Even though my beliefs about the Bible and science and the cross and human nature and predestination and all sorts of things changed, I just kept talking to God. Tongues would just happen out of me, prayer language. And I'd say stupid prayers that don't make any sense, like, Jesus, I don't believe in you anymore. And he'd just smile. Because that's irony. Why are you still talking, bro, to me? Conclusion. Okay. Spirit of prayer. Eyes closed, if you prefer, because I don't like to be bossed around either. Like when the worship leaders are like, everybody clap. I'd be like, I'm going to stand. And they say, sit, stand. And then they clap. I go, I don't feel like clapping. I won't be controlled, thank you very much. You know, so if you don't want to close your eyes, you don't have to. All right, let's pray. Well, I'm going to be talking to you, you be praying. If today you feel that you have more questions than answers, it's okay. 
if you feel you have such small faith and it's, it's just not enough, it's okay. Maybe someday your faith will be stronger. But today, whatever you are and whatever you have, it's enough. When the Israelites walked through the Red Sea, no matter how much or how little faith each one had, it was enough. Everyone got across on dry ground. Not because they all had great faith, but because they all had a great God. What I learned, and what I'm still learning, is that my faith is not a precarious Jenga tower of interconnected beliefs. Faith is trust in God, God who's here now. It's just so much more durable than I realize because I'm not the one holding on to my faith with a white knuckle grip. He's the one holding on to me. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.